paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I have a special beginning-of-the-show guest, a studio audience member, wanted to be on TV. This is Keevan, and he has uh, something he wants to say to his best friend. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. All right, Keevan, thanks. A little round of applause for Keevan. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter uh, through uh, available television channels, which include cable and dish, they can go to hotm.tv and watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. This being said, we have had some issues with uh, our uh, website lately. If it's still existing tonight, we apologize and hope we can restore that as soon as possible. On February 17th at midnight, Full-power American television stations will end all analog broadcasts and begin broadcasting exclusively in digital format. This will apply to this station, TV20. This transition will directly impact TV households who rely exclusively on free broadcast television in their homes. So if you are using an antenna, this will affect you greatly. There are three ways people can transition to digital. Switch to cable, purchase a new TV set with built-in digital tuner, or purchase a DTV converter box that will convert a new digital system into the old format. The boxes sell for 49 to 59 bucks. For more information about the DTV transition, visit www.dtvanswers.com. So remember, that's February 17th at midnight. We received an email from Whitney K. asking me who the heck I think I am. Uh, that I believe I can determine whether a person is a Christian or not, especially if they are a member of the LDS Church. That uh, she wrote, this is not your place at all. She ended with, because, quote, we are Christian. I want Whitney K. to know I do not believe I can determine who is a Christian and who is not when a person confesses to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I try to give all people benefit of the doubt, all people. Uh, and leave the deciding factor to God. I would add, however, that there are some signals that would cause me and other believers at times to wonder. In the book of Judges in the Old Testament, there's a story of the Gileadites who were in battle with the Ephraimites. And when some of the Ephraimites had escaped and tried to make passage through the Gileadites' land, they would stop them and say, Are you an Ephraimite? If the Ephraimites said, No, I'm not, They would then say to him, say Shibboleth. And because this was an Ephraimite, they couldn't pronounce the word Shibboleth right. And they uh, would thereby reveal their identity and then would be put to death. 
when a Christian has a conversation with a Latter-day Saint, no matter how hard the LDS person tries, and we've heard them call the show and, and attempt this, uh, and they try to convince you that they are Christian, there is always a disconnect. Uh, it's like the Ephraimut trying to say Shibboleth. You just can't do it, no matter how hard you try. So while I refuse to make a personal judgment on who is and who is not a Christian, Whitney, in my opinion, the speech of your own people betray you. There is a magazine called Sunstone that has been around for some time that appeals to the more intellectual side of Mormonism. Some within the LDS Church would consider Sunstone to be a liberal magazine. Well, in the past two issues, a regular contributed presented a two-part article that sought to address the Book of Mormon and its historicity. The articles were titled, Mapping Book of Mormon Historicity Debates, Part 1 and 2. While the articles were informative, the author does something so Mormonicious that I had to make comment on, about it here on the show, as I believe it reflects what will become the definitive LDS response to problems with the Book of Mormon and its supposed history. What the author states, among other things, is that because Christian modernists and critics have come to regard, quote, much of the Bible as mythic, not historical, they look to the Bible's most advanced ethical teachings as its enduring message. The author then goes on to state that because more educated people viewed the Bible in this fashion, that it opened the door for Book of Mormon uh, for people to look at the Book of Mormon in the same light, not as a truly historical book, but more of a spiritual book that needs to be seen in a quote limbic existential witness to the soul. The author also added quote to readers who may be examining historicity because their faith is at stake. I reiterate the importance of testimony. I'd like to remind our viewers that anyone who accepts this reasoning, is, there's no, absolutely no comparison between the Book of Mormon and its complete lack of evidences and the available evidences to the Bible that are archaeological, linguistic, genetic, physical, and uh, historic. The Bible has a, an enormous amount of supportive material proving that it is and came from where it came. The Book of Mormon has none. And this author tries to say that because there's some critics to the Bible who say, the Bible's just this book that you can understand kind of in a, in a feeling sense. It teaches us ethical lessons. Not, we can't really believe any of its history. That therefore, now we can embrace the Book of Mormon in the same manner. True Christians do not embrace the Bible in this manner because there is an abundance of supportive evidence. Speaking of the Book of Mormon, I want those people who support it as an authentic piece of God's Word, original to a fictitious people and the translation of a man they call the prophet, I want to ask you people who believe in this Book of Mormon to take what I call the Book of Judges Challenge. What qualifies a person to take the Book of Judges Challenge? First, you must have made a study of the Book of Mormon. You have read it through and through and believe it to be a translation from records by Joseph Smith. And second, you have to have a King James Version of the Bible and are willing to read the Book of Judges with a highlighter in your hand. Why? The thematic, even the very word usage and structure parallels between these two books is simply amazing. 
Do the challenge, folks. Grab a highlighter, open up the book of Judges in the Old Testament, and start marking any and all words, phrases, or situations that are also found in Joseph Smith's Mormonism and Book of Mormon. I think you'll be surprised. Business and religion are interesting bedfellows, aren't they? I really enjoy hearing stories and examples of people imposing their religious values on others amidst the business world. Don't mistake me, I think this is a business owner's right in this country, but it, it's always interesting to see what lengths so-called faithful will go to have their religious convictions known, but at the same time make the Almighty buck. It's kind of like Marriott having the Book of Mormon in every nightstand in every drawer of the Marriott Hotel at the, right next to the mini bar and the list of porn channels. Well, anyway, our good friend Brandy, who enjoys good friends and a night on the town every now and then, passed this little factoid on to me. It seems there's a nightclub here in Salt Lake City area called Studio 600. The internet says that it's Utah's non-alcoholic, non-smoking dance club. The website claims they are, quote, the place to be, the place to party. Well, being LDS-owned, they impose their standards to the paying public, well, sort of. On their webpage, they list the code of conduct. It says, ladies, shirts should cover shoulders and stomach, not be low cut in the back and front, should not reveal undergarments. The hem of skirts and shorts should be knee length. Gentlemen should uh, cover shoulders and chest, and the hem of shorts should be knee length. Then it says, management reserves the right to make final decision on what clothing is appropriate for the club. That's an understatement. Because what's great about Studio 600 is their policy for girls who dress immodestly. What they do is if a girl shows up in spaghetti straps, guess what they do? They charge them four to six bucks more and then they can come in. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I am not kidding you. That is the policy. You pay more money, you can look like a hooch and come on in and dance with everybody. I bet if you pay a hundred bucks, you could lap dance at the place. It's economics. It always is economics with them. It's absolutely amazing. That being said, and on a more serious tone, if you've lived long enough, you know that every now and again, people find themselves in situations that are very difficult, need some help and advice. I want to introduce to you Tamara and Sue, who are from the Pregnancy Resource Center. And uh, a good friend suggested that we have them on and just tell us a little bit about the center tonight. Well, the Pregnancy Resource Center is a place that um, helps women, young women, and young men and families that have found themselves in unintended pregnancy situations, in crisis, basically. They're trying to decide what to do. They're scared. They don't know where to turn. And so we, at the center, were able to counsel them about um, parenting as an option, about adoption as an option, and about the risks of abortion. I was talking with a friend recently, and it was interesting to say that this generation that we have right now has never been without the choice of abortion. Mm. And so it seems a little bit more acceptable to them. So they don't understand the risks that come with abortion mm. on a lot of different levels. About 50% of U.S. women end up in an unintended pregnancy. And of those, about 40% turn to abortion. Wow. So it's a really high statistic. Mm. Yeah. So we're really trying to reach out into the community. We find that our demographic is generally, we've seen young women as young as 12, all the way up to 40. Mm -hmm. and, but we see mostly between 17 to 29, our young college students, 
Um, and so we're really trying to reach out and to help them. We have just this last year in September, we added ultrasound services mm. so that we can actually show life in the womb. We mm. want to show that there's a viable pregnancy and we want to help them see that there is a choice to be made, um, the right choice. Awesome. Um, one of the other things that we have is we actually have a program um, called the PACE program, which is the post-abortion Bible study support group. And what we find is that one out of four women in the evangelical church have had an abortion. And it's a, it's a deep, hurtful secret that they're keeping. And this is Sue. She's one of our facilitators, and she's going to tell you a little bit more about the PACE. Awesome, Sue. Okay, the PACE, uh, the PACE class, as Tamara said, it's a post-abortion Bible study. And uh, one of the risks of abortion that you don't hear a whole lot of and you're not told about is that Women may choose to have an abortion as a quick and easy fix, but it is a decision that is completely irrevocable. You can never get away from it. It is with you for the rest of your life. Mm. And what we have found is that most women, uh, if not all, whether they have Christian beliefs or not, are haunted by this decision. Mm. Uh, it's a murder of your child, mm. and it carries with it a lot of guilt and shame. The post-abortion study is all about God's forgiveness, mm. and we specifically use a book called Forgiven and Set Free. It is a Bible study. There is a lot of scripture reading, and we just uh, delve into God's character and what He wants for us and how He wants to forgive us regardless of what we have done. Do, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is there a play? I see that we have the number on the screen of someone who can call. That's, That's great. 363-5433. We will be starting a new Bible study uh, sometime in the second half of February. If anybody's interested in being a part of that Bible study, please give the center a call and we will have someone contact you. And one of the other things I do want to say is that all of our services are free and confidential. Mm. And we're able to do that because of the support of the Christian community that supports us through their finances and also through their prayers. Mm. And so we're very, very grateful for that. Excellent. Really appreciate the great work you do. Thank you. Yeah, immeasurable. So thank you so much really for coming is. on the show. Thank, thank you. you for All giving right. us. All right. Well, finally, from what I've heard, uh, this is supposed to be a truly monument monumental day in American history, the inauguration of our first black president. Admittedly, the event in many ways illustrates progress in American thought and our politics and in our actions. We should be proud that we've made progress in that area. What is disconcerting is the growing chant that seems to reverberate that's something to the effect that we are now really going to start experiencing some actual and positive change. That we are going to all participate in this ubiquitous uh, expression of freedom that is going to save our nation, if not the soul of mankind itself. I can't help but smile at this hype. When we learn, when will we learn that as long as we willingly embrace man as the solution to our issues, that our world is only going to sink deeper and deeper in spiritual despair? You want real change? You want a real savior? You want a truly momentous inauguration in your life, in your community, in your state, country, and world. Go to God, confess your sin, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we come to you with open hearts. We pray that you will open eyes and ears tonight. We have a special uh, program tonight, Lord, of people who have come out of Mormonism to the arms of the Lord, to a relationship with Him. 
We pray that these words will be carried forward into the hearts of our studio audience here, to the hearts of our viewing audience in the state of Utah and Idaho and Nevada, and that through the YouTube audience that many, many people will hear what is being said, resonate to it, and choose Jesus over religion. Lord, be with us. Help me to say the right things. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have sitting next to me uh, a woman who is, um, was a Relief Society president uh, two times, early, seminary, early morning seminary teacher, uh, primary president, stake young women's, uh, uh, young women's president, and a stake, young, a stake primary president. These titles are confusing me now. It's been a while since I've been in the church. More than that, she actually was a tenured associate professor at Brigham Young University. And therefore, she has quite a history in the Mormon experience, even from the highest academic institution that they have. I welcome Lynn. Thanks for coming. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lynn, um, we're going to get into this. I'm gonna, Lynn and I sat down and asked some questions. And she's just going to share with you. And then we have some other guests that are going to be coming in a little bit to share as well. Lynn, who are you? Summarize your LDS life for the audience. My husband, Mike, and I joined the church at the age of 25. And we were in the LDS church for 30 years, raised our kids there. All our sons served missions. And um, we're always active and very involved in the church. Very good. What occurred in your life or in your family's life? What, what was the, the uh, tipping point in uh, the Wilder family that suddenly someone said, and then another person, then you, was it you, was it your husband, was it your child? What happened? Wow. It started about three years ago, a little more than three years ago. In reading the scriptures, I think in John 6:44, you have your answer, God drew us. I really believe that this was not something that we initiated, but that God initiated for our family and for several of us kind of at the same time on a little bit different journeys. Um, I, used, I was sitting in Sunday school one time in the LDS church, and they were talking about... They were talking about, um, see, now you, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a lot of pressure, isn't it? It's a lot of fun, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, what were they talking the about in there? Joseph? <laughs> no, they were talking about David, and they okay. were talking about how David had lost his salvation. And right in front of me, I had my scriptures open, and I was reading Psalm 51, and it's all about David's repentance. And I'm scratching my head going, now wait a minute. He's lost his salvation, but he repented. He repented, but the atonement didn't cover this particular one. And little by little, I started having questions that were just popping up. Hmm. And then we had this marvelous son who began to have some very real questions and um, encouraged us to read the New Testament. <laughs> wow. And so was it through the study of the New Testament that that got into the family, and that was the thing besides the Lord, of course, calling you, that, that opened your eyes to Mormonism? It was. Mm -hmm. It was. It, reading the New Testament, I, I was sure that Mormonism was Old Testament law, 
And then I kept reading in the New Testament that Christ had fulfilled the law, that there was no more law, there was no more need for the law. And so I'm going, so why so many rules and regulations? Huh. No more law. And I began to question the church and, and its foundation. And uh, my husband went off and started to kind of investigate um, things like church history and mm. So knowledge and information, it's like uh, our mm -hmm. friend Reed says, why did you leave the Mormon church? He said, I got a library card. <laughs> so <laughs> I got an internet. I got, you the, got the internet. internet. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Did you, uh, did you have any experiences when you were starting to doubt and delve and maybe uh, Michael was coming home, your husband with some information, did you start to say, oh, I'm going down the wrong path? I'm getting scared of this, or were you just fully committed that, you know, you are going to pursue this straightforward through? Oh no, it was. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. In fact, the coming out experience, I, I could um, characterize in one word. It, it was hell. There were some days when I wanted to die. There, because I was losing everything. I had to leave friends. Um, I was going to have to give up employment. Mm -hmm. It was a horrendous experience. And then worrying about would all the family come out. Um, I had a neighbor that was worried that her kids could no longer talk to my kids. So, you know, it was, it was a really frightening experience. But I had some real kind of confirmatory times. Um, one, I remember it's Good Friday afternoon. And I'm hoping not to be at work because I want to be home reading my scriptures and thinking about the fact that Christ died on the cross, that we're supposed to be thinking about that at this point in time. But I'm in a business meeting at the College of Ed, and the president of the college is running this meeting. And I'm watching the clock, and I'm thinking, okay, they probably gave him the vinegar about now, and then they're casting lots on his clothes, and wow. then he's... And I, I wanted that general authority to talk about Christ, and yet we were in this nitpicky kind of thing where it was a business meeting. And those kind of things started to wear on me. Now, wait a minute. Is Christ here? And um, how do I find him? So some of you we know are having those same suggestions in your mind. You're wondering, you know, is, is this a business meeting? Am I, do I belong to a business or do I belong to a church? Where's Jesus and all this? I, we know that you're having those thoughts. So entertain them further. Open them up and say, where is Jesus? And ask Jesus where he is. Len, um, how has the separation prop, uh, process been for you relative to doctrine? LDS doctrine versus now being in a relationship with Christ. Have there been things that have been tough to let go in that, in that swing that back and forth that you experienced? There were things that were hard to let go of. I think uh, the family forever thing for a woman with a mom's heart was, was one of the harder things. But you know what? The God I came to was so much more awesome than the God that I left Amen. that... matter anymore because I don't know where he's going half the time. I wake up in the morning and go, whoa, what are we doing yeah. today? Yeah. You know, he's in charge now. That was part of that experience was rather than categorizing him in some legalistic manner and then trying to find him, 
Um, one day I laid face down and I surrendered everything I had to him, everything I am, everything I own, and let him take charge of my life. And he turned it upside down. And I like to say now, up is down and down is up, and that's normal <laughs> in my house. Yeah. Let me ask you, there's a belief taught, reinforced within the church that says... Um, if you leave, you're going to implode and explode and erode and, uh, and, and your dog will bite your you. Dog will bite you. <laughs> Lynn, has this happened? What's happened in your life since you have actually said, I'm standing for Christ? One of the things he did was take me out of the job and move me to South Florida. Wow. Okay, now in the beginning, I'm angry about that. Can you imagine that? And then I'm waking up every day in this tropical environment <laughs> near the beach going, Hello? This is not fair. Yeah. 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 But really, he's so much better. What he brings you to is so much better than where Amen. you've been. But it's not easy. No, no. It's not easy. It's a very hard journey. In fact, there was a lot of pain involved. There was a lot of separation. There was a lot of judgment, um, a, a lot of hurt. But worth it. Oh, so worth it. So worth it. And so free now, free of the, the chains. When I was rebaptized, I literally had this visual. I thought about Scrooge and Marley and Marley with all those chains. And when I came up out of the water, I felt like the chains had fallen and I was so much lighter awesome. and freer. Praise and, God. And um, it does. It kind of doesn't matter if I have a job, if I have something to eat. He takes care of all that stuff. Praise now. God. Yeah. Is we we've got a few uh, minutes before we go to our break, but uh, is there anything you'd like to say to former students? I know you were influential to many students, colleagues that at one time trusted you as a true believing Latter Day Saint. Wow. <laughs> the only reason I agreed to do this was because there are lots and lots and lots of people that I love, lots of neighbors, lots of colleagues at BYU, and especially my students that I mentored and, and really loved at BYU, some of whom are quite angry with me and feel deceived. But I have to tell them that I, I wasn't deceiving folks. This was all this change process happening and I didn't even know what was happening to me or how it was happening and once I made that total commitment to Christ and knew where I was going then I knew I couldn't stay at BYU because if students were having positive experiences with me it was drawing them to the church instead of drawing them to Christ and that that was deceptive and now I actually feel responsible for for any people who listened to me and may have liked me and may have stayed in the church or stayed mm -hmm. strong in the church because of what I did. I, um, I do not believe that the church is a good place to be. And I believe that the place to be is with Christ and in the word. Amen. 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 When, uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines, but prior to doing that, we're going to have two other uh, a younger couple come in, and they're going to share their, uh, their experience, how they uh, came from LDS background, lived, served mission, married, the whole thing. Uh, that will be um, 
Stefan and Sarah. Get your questions ready as we open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-8820. So we can, you can question Lynn, you can question Stefan, you can question Sarah or me about what we're doing on, what we're doing on the show tonight. And uh, if you have worries and concerns, address those now. Really quickly, Sarah, we've got about 15 seconds before we go to break. Uh, the question always in, what sin did you commit that made you leave the church? <laughs> Either that or who offended you. Right, or who offended two you. Things. You got sorry. six seconds. She said I'm sorry. I'm too old to commit big <laughs> sins, Sean. That's all I can we'll say. We'll see you in a minute. Hey, we're back <laughs> with Lynn and Stefan and his uh, beautiful wife, Sarah. Uh, Stefan, tell me, um, give us uh, a synopsis of your LDS history. Well, uh, it's pretty generic, actually. My whole family raised me in the church. Uh, I have, my mom was a convert when she was 16 years old. Uh, and my dad, his whole family has been in the church for decades. And when I was young, I served a mission. I, when I was 19, I, I chose to do that. And because I loved the Lord, I wanted to bring people to the gospel that I believed at the time. And I was always very active. My family went to church every week. And, and we, uh, <laughs> I'm nervous. But, uh, but I served a mission. I, in fact, I couldn't, get, I couldn't wait to get on that plane and to go out and to, to share the gospel. And Where'd you go? I went to Orlando, Florida. And on my mission, <clears throat> I don't know if we want to get into this this soon, but I met an incredible set of elders, uh, Stephen Kay and Micah Wilder. And this is Micah's mom. And, uh, and they were just excellent missionaries. You know, they, they loved the Lord. They, they did all that they could to serve him. And I began to trust them. And, and uh, I, I was never companions with any of them, but I served around them. And, and they did some really good things. And so I served my mission faithfully. I came home and I, I served in the church. I, I returned. I went through the whole dating process. Um, process. <laughs> <laughs> the whole dating process that, you know, the church encourages. And a <laughs> um, couple of years went by. You know, I, I worked. I, I did all the normal things that you do when you come home from a mission and went to church every week, went to a singles ward. and and uh, met and dated some wonderful people, and then I found my, my beautiful wife, Sarah. And through the dating process? Through the dating process. <laughs> it was actually, she was, um, she was serving in the Institute Council at the time. Wow. And, uh, and so she was at this activity, and my, my friends and I just decided to go one night, and, and so I met her through the church, and we, we believed in it so much, and she was serving as a young women's president at the time in a family ward, which I thought was very admirable, and that's one of the reasons why I was so attracted to her is because she was a very spiritual person. She had a strong testimony of, of Jesus Christ. So what occurred? What occurred? Well, it's really quite simple, Sean. Um, I knew Micah, and I knew Steve, and I had heard through another return missionary friend of mine that, that they were all leaving the church. 
and that just astounded me because I knew how much they, they loved the Lord. I, you know, the examples that they set for me on their missions were astounding. And I got to interrupt really quickly, by the way. Uh, these are the guys who make up Adam's Road. This is, the, this is Adam's Road mother. That's what we call her. And, and he was on, uh, served a mission with them just to put it all together. So that shows you how impactful their testimony is. So continue on. Okay. Well, <laughs> so a couple of months go by, and I, I hear that people are leaving the church, and, you know, my friends from my mission are leaving, and, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And at the same time, I started really questioning certain things about the church, mostly why is it that the church has to put itself between me and a personal relationship with God? I never understood why we needed to repent to a bishop or why we needed to, to go to these people in order to return to God. I mean, I just, you know, they told me their doctrine and I, I studied it and I knew it and I taught it on my mission, but I, I never understood it uh, in my heart. And all of this was going on at the same time. And, and so one day I just, I called one of them up and I said, so what is the deal? You know, why, why are you guys leaving the church? And <laughs> they told me point blank why they were leaving the church. They went through the points of doctrine and they emphasized that they had come to Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> it was so amazing because I knew in my heart that what they were telling me was true. Everything that they were telling me was exactly what I've always wanted, Sean. Uh, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and they, you know, but I still believed in the Book of Mormon. I still believed in prophets. Mm -hmm. I still believed in the temple. And, uh, and so doctrinal point by doctrinal point, I, I couldn't contend with them. I mean, everything that they were drawing upon was from the Word of God in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There was no way I could say anything against it. So I just listened, and I was very uh, calm, I guess you could say, and I, I, I took it into my heart. And so I said, you know, this feels different. So I went home, and it was a three-month process mm -hmm. where I really studied the Word of God. I, I looked into church history. And I, I, I mean, the amount of time that I put into studying and to, to really digging into the Word of God, and not just that, but the Book of Mormon and different things in the church. And then suddenly, I, all these things started to unravel. I mean, I didn't understand why uh, temples existed in the first place or, you know, why we need modern-day prophets when the law and prophets were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ himself said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. And, and his words just became so clear and, and just penetrated my soul. Praise God. And, and so by this time, I had stopped believing in, in all this stuff, maybe a few months later, five or six months. And it was a hard time because, you know, I was starting to share this stuff with friends um, whom I still love and care for, and they... Uh, they chose not to associate with me anymore, and it was a very difficult time. And All right, Stefan, I have to cut off for a second. We're going to the better half here. <laughs> now, you are married to this man in the temple. Uh, in the temple. In the temple. You're active. You Tell us briefly your LDS history, and then what went through your head, and when did he reveal it to you that he was defecting? <laughs> um, well, like him, I was born and raised in the church into the covenant. Um, you know, extended family or members way back. So, you know, we come from a very LDS family. I believed in it strongly my whole life and was active and held callings and 
Um, so then up to this point where he was going astray, uh -huh. <laughs> um, he kept it a secret from me for months. I could oh, tell you something. little rascal. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified. I mean, she was going to leave me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You guys understand this, don't you? Don't you? It's worse than a dog bite. It's worse than a dog bite. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't tell me anything that was going on, but I could tell that something was up with him. He wasn't embracing it like he used to. And, you know, I just kind of left it alone. And then one day, this was about a year ago, um, I don't even know how it started, but he just started spewing everything and telling me everything. Mm -hmm. And naturally I was upset, you know, this is something that I'd been taught was true my whole life. And um, I ran to the temple for comfort, didn't find it. And um, our conversation continued the next day. And, um, you know, I was contending with him and trying to defend it. And none of my arguments held water. And I knew that. Mm. <laughs> and um, so finally, I just looked at myself and I was like, I'm the one with the hard heart here. I, I can't know the truth. You know, God can't tell me the truth in this state. <laughs> so I said a quick little prayer. Um, for him to soften my heart and to teach me the truth. Hmm. I, I needed to know if what he was telling me was true. And immediately, I felt my heart soften and things started making sense. It was all clicking. Hmm. And he could tell that it was. He could tell the change in my hmm. demeanor. And he's like, this makes sense to you, doesn't it? Hmm. And I said, yes, it does, but I need to go study it myself. Hmm. So I did. That started my, my study. I studied. I opened the New Testament and studied. And everything that my religious beliefs were built on just fell away. Hmm. It, and I knew it wasn't true anymore. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the truth was in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And my life changed after that. And it... Uh, just, it was a hard time, but it was... Worth it. It was so worth it. <laughs> it was so worth it. Awesome. <clears throat> We've got a bunch of phone calls here, 20 minutes left. Uh, I really appreciate all of you being here. Will you stay and answer calls with us? Sure. Absolutely. All right. Don't be shy. Chantel in Clearfield, first time caller. Chantel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I just had a quick question. Um, my husband and I were coming out of Mormonism. Uh -huh. We were born again um, in October, a couple months ago. And both of us have family members, you know, who are LDS. And I was just wondering, are they saved, you know, like, because they're really good people. And I just feel like, um, I, I just don't really understand how, like, us as Christians, you know, I believe that we are saved through the blood of Jesus and what we believe now and what we know now with our relationship with him. Um, but with them, like, they they try hard, and I just don't understand, like, how they or even, you know, nuns or Catholics or anybody, like, that they wouldn't be saved if they try and serve him and know him. Hmm. All right, that is a tough question, and before I go to answer it, let's turn it to you guys. Any comments? I told them I was going to do this. Well, what we know about God is that he's all-loving, he's all-merciful, 
he is no respecter of persons whatsoever. I believe that if they are, if they truly love the Lord, like my wife and I did while we were still in the church, uh, that God will provide a way for them to, to know his truth. And we know from the Bible that whether that takes place in this life or after the resurrection, we know that everyone will be given the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ does not throw people away. He loves everyone. He created us so that we could love him and so that we can be loved. I believe that, and that, that does make me feel more comfortable. But also in the Bible it says not to worship another Jesus, and that's where I'm kind of confused. Like, do we believe in another Jesus as a Christian than a Mormon? Like, is there a Mormon Jesus and a Christian Jesus? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. So are they, you know, that's why I'm saying, like, how does that work? Well, that's why we kind of stand and we talk about Mormonism, because they, it is another Jesus. This doesn't mean that there aren't people in the LDS Church who have come to know the real one, but that's known through, oh, okay, I see. That's through spiritual uh, knowledge that you get from studying the Word, desiring, praying. But th there are some who are in there who embrace the false Jesus and embrace a false theology. They're going to face their Maker and have Him decide what's going on with them. So that, and that occurs not just in Mormonism, that occurs in Baptist churches and in, in Calvary chapels and in, in Catholic churches. So it's the getting to the real Jesus is the most important thing. And if you can't get to him, it's going to be up to God to, de to determine if you really sought him and served him or not. So is the real Jesus in any religion? Any religion, I would say that the real Jesus is in Christianity, the body of Christ, made up of believers not made up of an institution or a building. Does that help, Chantel? Well, it kind of does, because I understand that the building institution, I understand like the, like the habit forming, like, you know, the r routine and everything, but, but, I mean, they're doing it, you know, for, for Jesus. That's why I'm, I'm Well, let me give you an example. There's a difference, and we've talked about this before, if it's redundant, I'm sorry, but there's an epistemological Jesus, that's a knowing him, like 1 John talks about you knowing you are saved, and there's an ontological Jesus, that is what makes him him. Now many people don't know the ontological Jesus, they don't know if he had brown hair or if he was six feet tall or, or where he grew up or even understand the Trinity, but they epistemologically understand him because they've been born again by virtue of the Holy Spirit, giving, making them a new creation in Christ. Jesus said, you must be born again. Okay, that's an imperative. And he said, verily, verily. So it's like doubly enforced. Unless someone's born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. We don't care who they are. Okay, I see. So you're, you're saying that um, if they don't come to know the true Jesus, no matter who and where they are, whatever religion, they have to not just do the routine, that they have to find him. They have to find him and be born again. Absolutely. Can I, can I add one? Thing? Yes. Okay. Um, if doing good things could save us, what need would we have of a Savior, you know? Right. If, if, if our righteous actions and how good we were determined our, our salvation, they can't save us, basically. You have to have that saving relationship with Jesus Christ to have your salvation. That's... Oh, I can barely hear you. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we have a bad mic problem. But what she said, if doing good works saved you, we wouldn't need Jesus, Chantel. And so she's saying that in reference to you saying, my family are really good people. They really try. They live good lives or they're really trying. But that right. trying is not what saves you. It's yeah, knowing right. Jesus. Yeah. Hey, well, one thing that gives... Oh, 
sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one thing that makes me feel better is, I don't know whoever said it, but they were saying that um, he, that he is merciful, you know, and, and whatever that he has, like, a plan, you know, and that he's merciful. And, and if they find him, no matter, you know, whatever they're trying to do, then that that's great, you know. Amen. We'll leave it in oh, his Oh, one hands. more thing, Sean, what, real quick. I was going to tell you. When we watched your show before we were saved, we thought you were so sad and sorry, but really, you are the bomb. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we thought you Thanks, were, like, Chantel. the biggest... Uh, God bless. Bye-bye. The bomb. Did you hear that? <laughs> Musty clam callers. All right, we're going to Paul in Ogden. Paul's a first-time caller. You're on the air, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest thing is I, I just... Um, Think that doctrine and fundamentals need to be left out of the spiritual relationship with Christ. Okay. You know, I've been a, I've been around a lot of places. I've been through basically hell through my life, and I just got sick and tired of the Utah Mormon attitude. You know, you get a large group of one religion, they suck <laughs> because they always want to push. You know their personal ideals, which they've been driven into them for generations, yeah. and never step outside their shell and say, hey, you know, there's more to it than this. And if there's only one group of people going to get saved, I'm not going. <laughs> you know, I want everybody there. You know, all different religions, all different people. There, if it's in your heart that you, that you have a personal relationship with Christ, that's where you go to. You know. So what are you doing now in your uh, walk, Paul? Well, I'm active LDS. Oh, you are? But I can't stand half people in the church because they open their mouth and I want to walk away. <laughs> so you've you know, come... They just don't get it. So you, you, uh, you've come to, to, to know the Lord as a Latter-day Saint. You're still going because of... Um, because of the gospel, period. Not the doctrine, not the fundamentals. It's the gospel. The gospel of, of Jesus Christ as yes, found in the Jesus New Testament? If you, if you read in the New Testament... It will lay down how it works, you know. I would agree and, with you there. <laughs> you know, and the only place that if you follow the New Testament word for word, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, this church, they actually do, but I think it's the people that screw it up. Yeah. Paul, you what know, about... not the gospel. What about... I'm just curious. What about the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenants? Well, see, those, if you take them into context and actually lay them down with the New Testament and all the Old Testament, they actually work out. Hmm. You know, and it's in the spirit of it, not the letter of it. Okay, we have four people. Cumulatively, we probably have 100 years of membership in the Mormon Church. Would any of you agree with that? No. None of us would agree with that. Well, it's just the way I came to believe. I went through addiction. I went through almost death. You know, and that's where I came to, is that, you know, I believe in everybody. But yet, there's different levels of religion that give you basically different levels of understanding of spirituality. I see. I see. Well, okay. Paul, thanks for the call. You realize, don't you, that, that what you're saying is definitely, certainly, absolutely not Mormon doctrine. Yes, I do. Yeah. But yeah, I do believe the gospel. You're right. It's an interesting call. Appreciate it, Paul. Take care. Yep. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, we're going to Sherman Logan, first-time caller. Sherm, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Dan. Sherm? I read the Bible quite a bit. Do you want to understand your lady? Sherm, is your television on? No, sir. 
Turn your television set down, Sherm. Yes, sir. Sherm, you yes, have to you have to turn your TV down, or you're going to listen to yourself talk every ten seconds. You're going to stop. All right, then. All right, then. All right, then. Turn it down. Lay together. Sherm, we're we're missing you, buddy. We're going to have to move on. Hey, you understand me? No. I'm sorry, Sherm, we've got to let you go. We're going to Jason in North Salt Lake City. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Hey, i got a question for all you guys, and I'll take this one off the air. Anyways, as you guys were uh, members of the church, active at the time, when you guys, uh, you know, what did Christ mean to you in the Mormon church, like spiritually? Good question. Like, I'm trying to explain this. I hope it makes sense. What I mean, like, when I was an ex-member of the church, I felt like when they were, the way they were trying to teach me Jesus, the church, the LDS church, like, there was uh, no purpose for him to come. Like, you know, there was, like, what's the point? That Why did he come? Because when I was, what did it mean? You know what I mean? Like, what I do. Did mean, what did it mean to you when you would hear, oh, you would say, oh, Jesus died for my sins in the Mormon right, church. Right, And Are you guys compared to now when you guys are reborn again? It's an excellent question, Jason. We'll answer it off the air. Here we cool. go. Thank you. Okay, Jason, thanks. We're going to uh, Steph. Go ahead. Hey, well, it's really very simple. I always had a testimony of Jesus Christ whenever I would think about his death on the cross. It would always move me to tears, and that's when the Holy Ghost was always the most strong to me. Uh, and Really, I guess the reason that it was so easy for me to to let everything else fall and to just focus on Jesus Christ as our Savior is because I I really did love our Savior. I had a, a relationship with Him in a way, but I, I never understood, <clears throat> again, you know, why I can't just go to Him for my mistakes because He is my Savior. And, uh, and in the Mormon Church, I, I always loved Him, and I'll just leave it at that. Sarah? Um, in the Mormon church, Jesus is just part of the equation, whereas now, being born again, he is the equation. He yeah. is. What more do we need? <laughs> what more do we need? That's all I have to say. Awesome. When? I would say the Mormons often refer to the scripture that says, we liken all scripture unto us. No, it finally occurred to me, we liken all scripture unto him. Mm. It, it is truly the difference between focusing on yourself and trying to work your way to heaven and trying to be perfect and even sh show this um, face that isn't true and being... <laughs> When I surrendered to Christ, all of a sudden I recognized all my sins, and that was kind of the ugly part. But then to be able to give them to Him mm -hmm. and be done with them, and to have the honesty to confess them, mm -hmm. and to have the honesty to know that He is the Christ, He rules my life, He tells me what, what to do, really, what to do with my resources, with my time. Um, he tells me where he needs me, and it's the most comforting, wonderful, freeing experience. I can't even, 
It's, it's tough not to be any more articulate <laughs> to tell you what it's like. You're doing because fine. it really is incredible. It is. And as far as my experience goes, uh, quickly, he was my elder brother. He was a member of the Godhead who atoned for the sin. He didn't impute his righteousness to me because I had to earn my own. He atoned for sin. He was uh, the Christ. He was the Messiah at times when you read McConkie. And he was the elder brother. He was never God. He was a sin janitor to me that I would, could go to on Sundays and repent and have him sweep away the sin if I did everything right according to the bishop. He never became the Savior, saving me from my sin, past, present, and future. And in him I could trust and rest and have peace. And then praise and pray too and worship and glorify. So I concur with what everything everybody has said so eloquently. And a great testimony to the people watching. If you don't have that same kind of collective experience, any Christian here in the audience could attest to the same type of relationship with this Christ. This is that uh, connection to the shibboleth I'm talking about. If you set on this side a bunch of LDS, you would not get the same response. You would get a response that says, well, Jesus, he, I know he's my Savior and he suffered, but I have to do my part in order to be worthy of his suffering. Well, none of us believe we're worthy and we're grateful that he's uh, done what he did for us. Okay? We're going to Lyman. No, we're going to Art in Lyman, Wyoming. Art, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening, Sean. Good evening, Art. Praise the Lord. I was just totally shocked and blown away to see this station and this program coming out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Awesome. Yes. It's, it's beautiful to see Mormons' hearts under conviction by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And people coming to know Jesus Christ through the word of my Heavenly Father. Amen. Lord and Savior, Almighty God, a living God I serve. Well, very good, Art. We're glad to know that you're receiving the signal all the way out there in Wyoming. And I praise God for your call. Thank you so much. Yes. Lord, watch over and keep you. Thanks. Same to you. Thank you. Good night. Bye. Good night. We're going to PL in Provo, first time caller. PL, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hey, John. How's it going? Hey, man, doing well. How are you doing? Well, uh, I had a question about the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Well, I've been reading the Book of Mormon lately. And this one begat that one, and that one begat this one, and begat and begat, and lo and behold, someone says some shit to someone or another. Just how retarded are you? Hey, hey, PL. Yeah? Were you asking me how retarded am I? No, the Book of Mormon. Oh. Uh, now, what is your point? What's your question, PL? So, the, so Joseph Smith lost <laughs> You're falling apart, man. Jo You're just not doing it, PL. Joseph Smith lost Are you looking at yourself naked and it's making you laugh? Yeah. I mean, Joseph what's going on, PL? So, Joseph Smith lost the Bible, right? Yeah. I, I, I think you're going you're gone buddy all right we're going to Jenny and Ogden Jenny you're on heart of the matter hi uh, Sean I just had a question I had a conversation with the LDS friend of mine and um, he's almost like that caller that you had from Ogden that um, doesn't agree with much of the doctrine anymore yeah and he's, he's so close that for some reason he thinks that he will be judged by Joseph Smith. Yeah. Um, where 
does that come from? Because I was a Mormon for years, and I don't remember hearing. Well, there was a council you were supposed to be judged by, but I didn't think that he was the judge. Journal of Discourses, Brigham Young. Oh. Yeah. So it's not inside the, the Book of Mormon or anything? No. Journal of Discourses, he taught that. So did uh, subsequent prophets. I think Lorenzo Snow also mentioned it, but definitely Brigham Young. Wow. Okay. Great. Wait a, wait a second. We have a reference from our audience reference man. What is it? Volume 7, page 289. 289. And I just kind of wonder how they get a hold of it. Because, you know, because they don't study that in church. No, they don't. They leave that out of the Brigham Young study guide for the year. Okay. Check it out. Thanks so much for the call, Jenny. Okay. Thanks, Sean. All right. Bye-bye. We've got two minutes left. Everybody gets 30 seconds. What do you have to say? Go ahead, Stefan. I just want to say that to anybody that might be watching me that I know that there is such a freedom in Jesus Christ that he, he is the word, he is the truth, and that if you just read the New Testament with an open heart, and I promise you that the Jesus Christ that is really out there is so much more loving and compassionate and forgiving than you've ever been taught in your life. And he is there for you and he wants to save you. All you have to do is have faith in him and come to him. And, and have him come into your life and give yourself up to him. Awesome. Sarah? Um, I would just say, instead of living your life for a church, try living your life for Jesus. Um, I finally know what it means to find liberty in him, and it's amazing. It's the only way to go. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Lynn? I would say seek his voice. And where do you find that? You find it in the New Testament, his, his exact words. You find the words of people who were around him. And I've come not just to believe in those direct words in the New Testament, but that this entire Bible is the word of God. It says in Revelation that he will come back in a robe dipped in blood, and he is, his name is the word of God. Christ is the word of God. So he's connected to this. If you know this and you read this, you'll know him, and he is truly a God of love. So seek the freedom that Jesus affords. It's not found in a church. It's found in a relationship that you can have directly and study his word to find out what he says. You do that, offer your life over, turn it over to him, and he will take it and change it just like he has done, and all of ours will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.